0: James Altucher Steven Dubner How doest thou? Pro backgammon player I'm only probably three levels away from professional I do want to say this leads to a question What ranking do you kind of have to be in any area of life to make a living? Do you have to be uh, so like professional golfers?
1: Percentile
0: or number? Because I mean, well, you, well, look, there
1: are a lot more engineers than there are professional golfers. Obviously, right? To have like
0: enough wealth to, to sustain this a better. career.
1: Define, define, define. Let's. We need more parameters. I can't define it. Give me an example, then. What kind of person are you talking about? A computer scientist? A nurse? Let's say a, a musician. Ah, that's a good one. So the musician would fit into what we sometimes call the tournament model. So the tournament model is where any profession, vocation, occupation, whatever, you cannot win if you do not play. But playing is inherently costly, at least in time investment, because your odds of getting toward the top of the pyramid are relatively slim. So, and so you have then, to put in many
0: years before you actually can see noticeable results. Not
1: necessarily. That's not necessarily what i'm saying although that, that may in practice that's that what may happens. also
0: be true but really what it's about is you are
1: competing against a lot of people and you are willing to do what you do for almost no money for a long time in the hopes that you will be one of the few that breaks through toward the top of the pyramid and makes it so writing music a lot of sports is like that. But Dorothy. there are other, yeah, right. You, there are a lot of other what they call glamour professions. So believe it or not, like some people think of publishing and media as a glamour profession, which I don't think is really necessarily right. But like there are a lot of low paying jobs that you really can't make a good career on, but you are in a realm where A, they are kind of considered sort of glamorous, media, whatever. Whereas if you progress enough, A lot of people want to be in those jobs even though they pay low at the bottom. That's the point. As opposed to something like nursing. Like you're not going to make a whole, whole lot of money in nursing, but you know that if you make it into nursing, you're going to make a solid living. Whereas in media, it's a different kind of model. There are a lot of people starting out. My starting salary in New York City, and granted, it was a long time ago, but these starting salaries have not kept up with inflation at all. My first salary was, I think, $23,000 full-time. I, mean, I was working like 60 hours a week at New York Magazine, my first job, and that was, whatever, 1994 or 5. So a long time ago, but not it's not like it was the 20s or something. And that's what you find in these writing, music, sports. Yeah, so I'm saying, those, so
0: what, uh, how what, good do you have to be to make... I'd say at least... The 90th percentile. Yeah.
1: To have what you'd consider like a financially and prestigiously successful career and, and in And for those someone kind of who's fields.
0: reasonably talented and is working on their skills every day, how long do you think it takes? Given that people, there's lots of reasons. Are you trying reasons, to
1: start a 10,000 hour conversation?
0: No, but almost. I have a lot to say about that. Completely separate from that. Because now we're talking about a very specific thing, like these kind of glamour professions or sports or whatever. How long do you think it takes before someone has... Because there's a lot of reasons people drop off. They get unhappy, they switch careers, they decide to go into other areas of the industry, they leave the industry completely. So how long do you think it takes for someone who's going to persist and stick with it to get into that 90th percentile? To get into it? um, And the 10,000 hours, by the way, applies to the best in the world. Whether you agree with it or not, that's what they're talking about. I'm not saying best in the world, I'm just saying 90th percentile. We'll revisit this
1: conversation down the road because I'm working on a, a radio show right now Built around Anders Erickson, who's the psychologist who was kind of the ringleader of that school of yes. expert performance. And he has a lot of interesting things to say about the 10,000 hour rule and how it's been misinterpreted, et cetera, et cetera.
0: But how long do you think it takes 90th
1: percentile to get there? Uh, I have work? no idea. I mean, you've got to give me a specific. That's too, like, what am I talking about? A ballerina? If I'm yeah. a ballerina, I'm starting at age whatever, six. And if I'm not in the 80th percentile, By the age of nine, I already get flushed out. I mean, that's the way it works. This is not an answer to your question, but it's a way to look at how it works. So soccer or football, as the rest of the world calls it, in almost every country other than the United States, maybe in Canada, and maybe there are a couple others that I don't know about, maybe Germany's more like us, but almost everywhere else, the route to kind of the highest level of American soccer is high school and then college and then some form of professionalism, right? So by the time you become a pro and by the time you're living the life of a professional athlete, you're like 21, 22, 23 years old. In South America and in many parts of Europe, um, I assume in Africa and in Asia, although I don't really know so much about it there, the best players are kind of picked, plucked out of the crowd and start training in a semi-professional atmosphere by the time they're like 10 or 11 years
0: old. Take a moment to listen to this message while we figure out where this answer is headed.
2: Hey, your Wolf listeners, this is Hillary Frank from The Longest Shortest Time. On our show, we talk to parents. I just put sex on the list of things that I have to do that day as soon as the baby goes to sleep. We talk to kids. Sex in a boat. Sex in a wolf. Sex in Jupiter. And we talk about how those kids were made in the first place. I'm pulling down his pants, you know, hurry up. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> the longest, shortest time. It's a family show for grown-ups. Listen at LongestShortestTime.com, Earwolf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: But writing is a different one. So let's take writing as an example or, you know, something which you can start as an adult or being an entrepreneur, I don't know. How long do you think it took you before, you know, you started writing as an adult and you hit the 90th percentile where you can say, okay, I'm good and I'm going to be successful So that's at this. the thing. I didn't start writing as, as an adult. I, You know,
1: I was writing a lot
0: from age six or something. But
1: writing professionally. Oh. Um, so I would argue that even there it's hard for me to say because I I like started my high school paper. That's how much writing, I mean, writing has just been a but part of. But let's say
0: every professional did that. Yeah, yeah. So then you started to say, okay, I'm going to make a and living at how long at did this. it take? Yeah, so you said you started your first salary was twenty three thousand. That's obviously not enough to live in New York City specifically. Right. So how long before? Um, in my case,
1: it was pretty fast. It was a couple of years, but it wasn't because I was necessarily good. It was because I just hustled. So but I had that's a job. the key to do yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. I so I had a base salary of twenty three or maybe twenty four. I think it was twenty three. But then the job I had at New York Magazine, I also, when I wrote articles, which was what I was there for, my job was not writing, my job was editorial assistant and doing all kinds of stuff, but whatever I wrote, I would get paid for extra like four or $500 a piece. So I just wrote and wrote and wrote as much as I could. That led to A, a little bit more money, B, more exposure, C, more opportunity. Within like three years, I was making 80 grand, which to me felt like a lot then. See, I
0: think three years is where you start making a living. And I think another... After fourth and fifth year, you're making like a great living. Well, the problem is, I mean, this is the great dilemma,
1: right? Which is if your success is not obvious, (laughs) right? Or maybe if your lack of success is obvious, at what point do you start to transition out? Let's say, like, I have friends who are musical theater performers, right? They go, they're unbelievably talented. From junior high, from grade school, they were great. Junior high, high school, they were the stars. They go to these conservatories where they train. They're unbelievably talented. And then they and 999 other people every year just like them move to New York to compete for the same 50 okay jobs and the 20 really good jobs and the two great jobs, right? That's a lot of competition. So if you're that person and you're in year three of living in New York and you've found a way to make a living to pay your rent by teaching yoga or acting at kids' birthday parties, whatever, how are you supposed to look out at that trajectory and say, you know, I'm getting auditions and I'm getting in a few things, but what's next I've invested all this time right, it's scary it's, it's a, really scary it's a
0: risk so at some point you have to have faith okay I have the talent I have the skill I'm hustling I think a lot of people don't hustle they network but they don't hustle but to be fair you can have the
1: talent and the skill and hustle and
0: it still won't work for you that could happen it's but really it's it's
1: really hard I mean the odds of succeeding in these professions succeeding meaning have a make a good living is really hard hey you're always telling me about TV shows because you see more good ones than I do, and I never f- discover anything on my own. But I began watching one recently that I think you would like, and it's about this. It's about, to some degree, it's about making it as a musician. It's a classical musician. It's called Mozart in the Jungle. You know the show? Oh,
0: I've seen the commercials. It's an Amazon show. I really show. want to see it.
1: And here's the thing I'm proudest of: I started to look at it on Amazon, knowing nothing about it. It was just on my Amazon, uh, you know, Prime Instant Video. This show, I watched a couple episodes. I was like, "This is a great show." And then two days later with the Golden Globes. Then it won, I think, a couple Golden Globes. And I was so – because I'm always the last to find out that anything's good. So I was excited about that. But there's – if you are a writer, musician, athlete, photographer, anything creative, maybe entrepreneur as well, it's a cool show to look at because it is about that struggle to, like, know, well, if I'm fighting for the second or third chair oboe and I'm X years old and I've been at it since I was seven – what is my window that I consider it, you know, when when does that window start to close? And if so, if it's closing, what am I supposed to do now? And I think for the people who do take the risks to have those kind of careers, it's a really scary thing. And the payoff is often not commensurate with the amount of courage that you've shown.
0: But I will argue the flip side, which is that what you call a stable living, like having kind of a steady income at some job, that also is risky because you get that stable income. So you never get feedback really on how you're doing. And one day you can just get fired and you have no idea why, and you have no idea what to do next. So everything is a risk, much better to, to pursue something you're going to love and, and potentially be creative at and, and, you know, find h- happiness with.
1: But you know, there's nothing to say that even if you've made your own creative thing that you've consider successful, even that is not guaranteed. Like, someone could just walk into, like, a radio studio and and tell—
0: Hey, you guys, this show
1: is beneath the quality of our studio and podcast network, and you're fired, James and Dubner, both of you.
0: Well, I don't know who could say that. We could just keep uploading to iTunes. We can then whatever. That was a very good imitation of uh, kind of a radio boss, I think, but uh, no one could actually say that to us. Coming up, we'll tell you a little bit about
1: our next question of the day after this.
2: Hey, Year Wolf listeners. This is Hillary Frank from The Longest Shortest Time, where we ask the hard-hitting questions.
0: What will happen if I don't have... A shadow. What does the Tooth Fairy do with her tooth?
2: Am I the real
0: Batman? Who's Jesus' grandparents? John Willis, age three, bringing out the big guns. (laughs) I'm actually, like,
2: rattled. The Longest Shortest Time. It's the parenting show for everyone. Listen at longestshortesttime.com, earwolf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: On the next question of the day.
0: Here's a question that someone asked on a little website called Quora.com. How do I learn to say no? And Stephen, you might have to deal with this quite a bit. Like, let's say someone asks you to a social engagement or someone says, Oh my gosh, the Freakonomics writer, can you come speak at my high school or whatever, or come on this TV show or radio, whatever, all the things you're probably asked to do all the time. How do you learn to say no?